Hello, and welcome to the official podcast of Bishop Malcolm Smith. These teachings are recorded live each week and provided not only here on the podcast, but at youtube.com. Simply go to youtube.com and look for Malcolm Smith webinars in the search engine there. We also want to invite you to go to www.malcolmsmith.org. There you will find other teachings by Malcolm, including books, videos, and MP3 downloads. And now, with this week's teaching, Bishop Malcolm Smith. The Lord be with you, everyone. And let me quickly begin by thanking you and also um, giving a testimony, I suppose, to the way that you have used my book, This Son of Mine, we, we have received a number of communications that tell us how you have given it to your friends and it has literally transformed their lives. Um, that, that excites me. And, and the common thread is, it is so simple yet so profound, I finally understand what this is all about. Marvelous. And so, um, thank you for sharing that. Uh, I've read all of your emails and received all messages, and um, it thrills us. And if you haven't got the book yet, call our office or go to our website and get it. This son of mine. Okay. I want to continue with what we were talking about last week in terms of this covenant word that is throughout the scripture remember and the one that goes the flip side of it forget okay let me quickly tell you again what that meant in terms of a covenant and in terms especially of the people in the bible it's not the same as when we say the word remember or the word forget And while I'm doing that, you can turn to Judges in chapter 6. Okay, let me emphasize, this is a covenant word. And of course, once you do not have covenants, then the word falls into something less than it has originally meant. And so, we need to update our Western thinking into this word. Remember, what it means is number one, that the covenant, this total self-giving of Father and Son and Holy Spirit to us. Let me emphasize that. This total self-giving of all that God is. He has given Himself to us in the Lord Jesus. And that is covenant and covenant language. That giving of oneself, um, it, it arises out of his infinite, boundless love to us, that he would thus give himself to us, gift his very being to us and into us. That had been uh, seen long before, and so you had the covenant with Abraham, and then you had the covenant with Isaac and with Jacob. Um, you, you have it with Moses in the giving of the law and what is called the covenant of Sinai. There's the covenant of David. And, and those 
all through scripture those covenants keep building, building, building toward the grand finale, the ultimate giving, God giving God in Jesus and his blood is called the blood of the everlasting covenant. Now this is the beginning of the word remember that you and I, we are bound up in that covenant that came to us in Jesus. It's not an item of history, you say. You and I are woven into it. And and that's whether you like it or not, believe it or not, you were woven, taken into that covenant wherein Jesus brings humankind to the Father. Now that's the beginning. You're bound up with that. It happened 2,000 years ago and all the other covenants back, back, back into history. But you and I, we cannot understand ourselves without realizing we're bound up with that covenant. It's all about us in our relationship to God through Jesus. And in that covenant, you might say number two, in that covenant you have the act of God, the successful act of God in uniting you and I with himself. It's done. And therein, in that covenant, is our present life and our future destiny. Okay. Now, the word remember means that you bring that event into your present moment. All the revelation of that, all the wonder of it, all the absolute truth of it, all its reality comes into this tick-tock, tick-tock of my present moment as the clock ticks now. I am one with that. I don't look back, 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 back to it. I recognize here and now, in this present moment, all that happened is now happening. And I connect with that by redoing it or doing it. That is, when I think about life, I think about life through the reality of that covenant. It's not back there. I'm thinking about life now in relation to, in union with that covenant. And when I speak, I don't speak as if that never happened. My language is formed. My perceptions of life that comes out in words is woven together with that and my actions are aligned with it or I listen to all that God has done in Jesus and I say amen and I do it into life that's that's remembering remembering is engaging my total person right now with what god did in our history that is past but in reality is here and now in my present moment and that is achieved by the holy spirit he is the one said jesus who will bring all things to your remembrance and thirdly This word remember means that in so doing, 
in actual fact, all the power and the energy, all the promises of that past event become my present life here and now. I suppose you could say remembering is to transcend time and space and what was on the timeline is in my present experience. I I am living in the reality of the unchanging God. Remember. Now, all through the scripture you find that word. Especially in Deuteronomy where he says, remember the covenant, remember the Lord your God, remember what I did. Well, now you know what he's getting at. Don't let it be a thing of past history. It's now. All that he was, he is. Unchanging. Okay, the flip side of that is forget. And it doesn't mean that you forgot the same way as you can't remember where you put your keys this morning. No, this me is a deliberate act. Uh, in, in fact, I still, I know the thing happened. It's not left my mind and memory. Forget in Bible terms means to leave that covenant revelation. The livingness of God in communicating and uniting himself with us. We leave that in the past. And we can acknowledge it happened, and we can discuss it. We can debate it. We can preach it. But it doesn't mean a jolly thing to us in our present history. It's an item, maybe a big item, but it's back there. Locked up, shackled in the past years, which means that although I can know about it, it is irrelevant to my life today. It's an item of true history. I'll acknowledge that. But if I get involved, it's more like a curiosity. Have you ever met those historians? I've met quite a few of them because I... um, I'm a student of history, and, and, and but I mean the real McCoy, and they've got these ancient documents in plastic folders that here's the signature of George Washington, this is the diary of George the Fourth, and so on, um, and, and and they're obsessed, most of them, with these documents and and with what happened and the dates by the gazillion, but. In a, in a best sense, I'm not criticizing, in, in a high sense, but it's, it's curiosity. They, they want to go back and find out what happened. And, but, of course, they're talking about another time. When people dress differently, talk differently, thought differently, it's another time. Other people, it's back there, locked up there. So it has no demands, it has no, what, it does not affect me in this present moment. I get on with life, it just happens, I know quite a bit about what happened in the past. But essentially, for serious discussion, it's left to historians and students, theologians who go into the Hebrew and the Greek, and oh, that's it. I can close the book and close my mind and go on my jolly way. That's to forget. 
has no effect on me today. And in the first verses of chapter 6 of Judges, Israel as a people had forgotten all that had happened in their beginnings. They had forgotten the God who revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had forgotten that they were slaves and had been delivered out of Egypt by the power, the love power of God. They had forgotten he took them through the Red Sea by his love power that was beyond anything they could comprehend. They forgot how he protected them and cared for them and fed them and clothed them, all by actions of his love power. Forgot it. That is, they would talk about it as the beginnings of their nation, but as far as today, well, that was then, now is is, and never the twain shall meet. So they ignored him as the present real God in their homes and in the happenings of their nation. They ignored him, marginalized him, if you like. He was irrelevant, except when you talked about him on certain days. So so his promises were interesting. They sounded like beautiful poetry. You'd hung them on your refrigerator, but no one would seriously think that any of that could happen today. Well, then, if that's the case, in, in, in their minds, in, the, in their sort of core being, they perceived God. It goes with the territory. You then perceive God as belonging back there. So he's very remote to where I live. You know, he's into Red Sea and all that sort of stuff, but I don't know how that applies to me today. In fact, I haven't seen any evidence of him around me recently, so he must be disinterested. And, And all these things that God did back in whenever, it appears, would you understand me, as magical? I use that word carefully. It belongs to the world of myth and legend. I mean, I really believe he did them, but it seems he just acted on a whim. He sort of did that, because I guess he felt like it. You see, you've forgotten. Therefore, you do not connect what he did with the oath of his covenant, whereby he swore on his own being to be with us. No, we forgot that. Filed that, what a jolly good idea. File it away, talk about it next week. So life is lived quite apart from him, acting on one's own strength. The result was a situation as described in the first verses of Judges chapter 6, where these thugs, they were called Midianites, I'll just leave it at that. They, they were a, a, a bullying people to the max, and they swooped down upon Israel and stole all of their harvests and made just a, a massive nuisance of themselves. Thieves to the max. And so Israel ended up leaving their villages and their ranches, and they went to live, it says, in the 
dens in the mountains. They, they made themselves little shacks up in the mountains, camouflaged them, and then it said they actually lived in caves because they were terrified of these Midianites that came down on a regular basis to steal anything that the Israelites were trying to grow or to make a livelihood. People are essentially, to all intents and purposes, slaves of these Midianites. And they're conclusion in their mentality of forgetting God, a God locked up in the past was, well, now nothing's happening, and so it's all God's fault. He's not interested in us. Not interested. He's, he's abandoned us. That was a favorite word with them. He's abandoned us. He's gone off by himself, retreated into his own godness not around anymore. I'm alone here. I'm abandoned. I'm the victim of these Midianites. Okay, you get the picture. That's when Gideon shows up. Gideon, young chap. He was as afraid and anxious in as much despair as anybody else that I've just been talking about. Saw himself definitely as the victim of the Midianites. Uh, he, he was a little creative. He grew his wheat and barley, and, and then he took it and stored it in the wine press. Now, that's, that's a creative idea. When they came swooping down to steal the harvest of wheat and barley, they never thought of looking in the wine press. And so he, he put it all in the wine press, and that's where he threshed it and, and, and got the, the, the flour and um, they could make some bread and eat. And so he's hidden away there in the wine press, a great big place that was sort of half in the earth. And, and so he, he's, he's done it, he, he's in secret. Furtively, he's made his flower, and now he comes. And it's a picture that I, you know, when I'm reading it, it it's kind of funny. You see this his fellow Gideon, and his head pops up out of the earth, out of this wine press. It's like a jolly groundhog. He comes up and he looks around. See if there's any Midianites around. And it says that sitting there under the oak tree was someone who looked like a traveler. Got a staff in his hand and sat there as if he'd been traveling for a long time and now sat in the shade of this great oak tree. The Bible says he was the angel of the Lord. Now, we can't go into this. It's, no time. But enough to say, the Bible is full of angels, which is an unfortunate thing when, as far as the words go, because it should be translated messenger. That would make a lot more sense. Angels were associated with naked babies floating around with little wings, or, or, or with, with, with silly yellow lingerie. It, it's, uh, no. Angels were divine messengers, and every time they showed up, uh, they had to tell the people, fear not, it's okay, um, because they were so awesome to look at. Um, if anything I see in pictures showed up in my living room, I think they'd 
I have to say, oh, please excuse me. It's, it's, anyway, that's another thing. So there's many angels in the Bible, but this one keeps cropping up here, there, throughout, called the angel of the Lord. Different. And every time the angel of the Lord shows up, within two verses you're you're confused because it began with angel but right in the middle of it it's talking about the angel as if it's God himself the fact is and this is where I'm just telling it believe me that the angel of the Lord was a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus Jesus shows up all through the Old Testament And one of those showing up is the angel of the Lord. And he is the messenger. He is, in fact, more than the messenger. He is the message. He's the word, says John chapter 1. And so, Jesus showed up. I use that term because in this case, that's just about how it was. He came and he looked like a traveler, just sitting there under the oak. And I, again, get the picture. Here's a tremendous crisis going on. Israel, slaves of the Midianites, losing everything. And Gideon, in the middle of his cowardly, avoiding the Midianites to thresh his wheat. And there, sitting in the middle of all that just looking at the wispy clouds in the sky Jesus sits under the oak tree that was to be a life transforming moment for Gideon and for all of Israel to the point where they will actually memorialize the oak Um, they'll, they'll come and look at that oak tree and say that's where it happened And so here it says, the angel of verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak. Uh, There were plenty of oak trees, but he could, the oak. Because by the time this was written, that oak tree, today we would have put a plaque on it and says, on this spot, on such and such a day, uh, and so on. Everybody knew that was the oak. This is a moment of life transformation. Memorialized. You'll never forget it. You might remember the date. It's a turning point. You turn a corner, you can't go back. Jesus came and sat in the middle of Gideon's life. And as he pokes his head out of the wine press, the angel, the messenger, locks eyes with him and greets him the Lord is with you mighty man of valor now that was a greeting the book of Ruth I don't know if you realize it but the book of Ruth actually takes place right here in the book of Judges and in there you have actual recording of people greeting one another with this expression the Lord is with you (coughs) greeting But this phrase, the Lord is with you, it it spans the whole Bible. I I mean that. 
from Genesis all the way through the scripture, this, you could say, is a foundational sentence. And the people used it as a greeting, as an act of faith, to declare that they were people to whom God had given himself and he was with them. But, along with forgetting God, although they continued to say, the Lord is with you, it had become a greeting. You know how it is. You say things and you've long forgotten what they mean. Today, people, nice people, will say, have a good day. That a loaded statement, have a good day. Only God is good. A good day is one interpenetrated by the Trinity. But of course, long ago we forgot that. And then people were saying, God bless you. Do you realize what that means? Bless means you are empowered by all the strength and the wisdom of God. You are beloved of God. And yeah, but a long time ago we forgot that. But we keep on saying the words. And certainly in Gideon's day, the Lord be with you, would just like to say hello. But when this one said to Gideon, the Lord be with you, mighty man of valor, there was something about it. These were not empty words. They throbbed, they pulsed with the reality of which they spoke. The Lord, the Lord be with you. You see, the Lord, that's his name given to Moses to announce that he is the God who's with them in covenant. So, when you say Lord in this fashion, you're saying he's our covenant God. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with you. What's he saying? Just in that one sentence, in the tone that he gives it, he's saying that this God is not locked up in the past. Nor is he a dim mirage dancing in the future. He is with you. He is. He's with you right now. He's not remote. He's not a distant, disinterested one. He's, he's here. He's now where you are in the middle of this crisis. And of course, as I say, this, this angel, this traveler was really the presence of Jesus. In fact, second person of the Trinity is here under the oak tree in the middle of this mess. He's with you. He is. He's with you, Gideon. He spoke to Gideon. He's with you. With you, frightened little mouse poking your head out of the wine press. He's with you. Do you know who you are? He's with you. He's not only with all the people of God. That's an easy statement. No, he's with you now in the midst of all your fears and anxieties. He's with you right down there in the wine press, hiding like a frightened victim from your bullies. Lord is with you. It's the common denominator. Wherever you turn in the lives of people that made impact in their world, you'll find this phrase. The Lord is with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Joseph defined his whole miserable life as a slave. He elevated it to meaning and purpose by saying, the Lord was with me. The Lord was with me. 
Didn't matter what happened, that's how he came out of it. The Lord is with me. Moses probably put it better than any. Let me read it to you. In Exodus chapter 33, verse 14, the Lord said to Moses, My presence shall go with you. I will give you rest. I'll bring you to the end of the journey. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. That is, he's saying, cancel the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Take them out of the Bible. I want nothing of it. In fact, you might as well take the rest of the books out too. He said, unless your presence is with us, I want to call this whole operation off. And then he says, verse 16, because how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people. So it, it's, it's a community thing, your people, but me as one of them, unique, personal. How can a person say they have the favor of God if your presence is not with them? And is it not by your going with us that we, I, and your people may be distinguished from all the other people who are on the face of the earth. What a statement! He said, your being with us distinguishes us. That, that word is, you know, I like the word distinguish, stands out. But it means, it means different. But different in an awesome sense. A distinguished person arrests the very atmosphere of a room. He's distinguished. He bears himself in a certain fashion. He looks. He speaks. It's that sort of thing that was on American television. What, when what was it? Smith Barney speaks. Everybody listens. Do you remember that commercial? Well, that's distinguished. You, you take this person seriously, they're distinguished. It, and I say, it means different, it means set apart, it means unique. Moses said, our uniqueness to those who do not know this is that you are with us and persons recognize it. And they don't always know what they're recognizing, but they stand in a certain awe. And this word distinguished also in the Hebrew language has in it the meaning of wonderful or amazing or astonishing. Used always of God to describe his mighty miraculous acts. They are wonderful. They're amazing. And so he is saying, Moses is saying that we... With your presence with us, we are distinguished. We're, we're different for you surround us. You're in us. You're with us. And it is a matter of wonder that God should dwell with a person. It's amazing. It's astonishing. I don't get over it. The world doesn't get over it. It's amazing. Anybody recently astonished at the members of your church? Hmm. And this difference, you see, let me say again, this astonishment,
astonishing difference that the Lord is with me. So the difference is in his presence, his personal presence. The Lord is with. I I know a lot of people that are different. Or maybe we should say they're weird. They're oddballs. They don't fit into society, not because the presence of the Lord is with them, but because they come into society with a whole list of things that they don't do and will not let happen. You know, sitting on a plane and the poor hostess comes to do her job and she offers to the man next to me a cocktail. And he bristles and said, I do not drink alcohol. I'm a Christian. Get that thing out of my sight. I thought, oh, Lord. That poor woman, terrified, ran for her life. He thought he was being a witness. No, he was being an obnoxious, rude oddball. This difference is the love of God. This difference is that I am filled with the Holy Spirit, this difference is that I act and I speak with the gentleness and the tenderness and the kindness and the wisdom of the God who is with me, and out of me flow rivers of life, living water. You see what I mean? It's presence. It's not just that, you know, Baptists don't do that. Well, God bless the Baptists, but I'm not talking about funny things people don't do. I'm talking about the presence of God with you that arrests, I say. You can transform the atmosphere of a room just by showing up because of the presence of him who is love. uh, it, It means the Lord is with you. Your life is aligned to the invisible love of the covenant God. He dwells in you and with you. This is your place of belonging in life. You're at home in Him. This is your refuge. Oh, well, you see, that changes everything, doesn't it? It means then I was wrong thinking of God doing magic things, you know. God up in heaven, shazam, and boom, something happens. Then He disappears again. No, no, that, that's Greek mythology, that's paganism. This is this incredible gospel that this God is with us. And together with us will do his acts, but he won't do it magically alone on a whim. He does it because in covenant he's given himself into us and now through us. He will do his work. He will shed his love. We will be the revealing of him. Oh, but he said, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. (laughs) Said that to this little fellow crawling out of the wine press. Mighty man of valor. That's a Hebrew word, very... It's very simple, yet sort of difficult to put into English. It it describes a small force uh, of soldiers. I I would say an army, but it it means a small army. I tell you what it would be today. We would call it special ops or the Navy SEALs. You don't need too many of them. It's, It's a tight group. 
but they are mighty powerful persons this is a group of men that do not depend on what they look like they are lions and they're not toothless lions whatever they might look like they are able they're always active they're not passive in a situation It also is a word that describes having enough resources to do what has to be done. So sometimes a wealthy person is described by this word. It means you, you, you don't have to wonder where the money is coming from to do it. You don't have to wonder, do I have enough strength? Do I have enough power? Do I have enough wisdom? Or whatever. No. There's that sense of able. Got the resources man of valor. I tell you, this word was used to describe the queen of Sheba. When she came to Solomon, she had a small army with her to protect her, and it was this word that was used. She had her special forces with her, you say. Huh! He, he's describing one man, Gideon, as a small force of navy seals hmm and then he goes on to say mighty man of valor which means the word mighty means brave courageous and of course strong a warrior but it's a word that's used of god so put all that together the the angel jesus is describing gideon as as the lord is with you and the lord is giving to you being to you this kind of strength and power and is your resources for this present moment it's describing I'd say power ability strength that is derived from God that is don't look inside yourself to find this recognize the Lord who is with you is now giving this to you you know there's um, in the covenant Let's understand where we're at. In the covenant, he says this in Leviticus 26. And and he says, you will chase your enemies. They will fall before you. Listen, five of you will chase a hundred. A hundred of you will chase ten thousand. What's he saying? Just one of you is far more than what you appear to be. There's more to you than meets the eye. The Lord is with you, and when your enemies look at you, they'll see five or ten people there. He greeted Gideon, and in his greeting, he named him. He named him. This is who you are, Gideon. I name you, the Lord is with you. I name you, mighty man of valor. Interesting. Jesus begins by saying, this is how my Father sees you. This is how I see you. This is how the Holy Spirit sees you. This is how we know you to be. So I'm smashing through all of your unrealities and illusions, and I'm greeting you by the name that the Holy Trinity bestows upon you. Think about that. Huh. 
And Gideon responds because he recognizes immediately this is not a meaningless greeting. Whoever this is believes what he's saying. But in so thinking, it's worth responding to, he contradicts. Think of it. Gideon stands there and insolently contradicts the angel of the Lord. He ignores the name that Jesus has just given him. Basically, he says, well, that's a matter of opinion. What does he say? Verse 13. Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if, notice that, if the Lord is with us, I mean, you've just said the Lord is with you. Well, I don't know about that. He said, if, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where's his miracles? And so wow, so some of the words there, they open up everything to us, don't they? If, if the Lord is with us. You know, I can, that takes me back to the Garden of Eden when Satan said, hath God said? And then quickly got to, you shall not surely die. Or I leap forward to when Satan confronted Jesus and said, if you be the Son of God. Hmm. Satan's up to his earlobes in forgetting. You can debate it, you see. We can talk about this. But I, I, if, if that's now, as the angel of the Lord said, if that is so, then why? Oh dear, why? You see, once you understand, remember, you will never again ask why. Because if and why is at least suggesting, usually very strongly, that he isn't with us. He isn't, you see. So I say, if. And then I say, why. Well, there's no answer to why because of where you're coming from. You're coming from a God back there who might just zoom down in an unexpected moment. Now, if the Lord is with you, then you're not looking for proof. You know he's with you. And so your question would be, what is up, Lord? What are you up to? What do you want me to do in this? Why assumes already he's not here. Assumes already he never deals with me. He just does his stuff and I don't know what he's up to. He's a disinterested God, and we are the victims of the Midianites. He's a, a remote God who has abandoned us, and that's exactly what Gideon said there. Look, God being with us does not mean we have no trouble in life. That's a satanic lie based on forgetting. 
we look back and say, well, if he was with us, then this wouldn't be happening. So why is this happening if God is with us? No, 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 no. Remember brings that into the present moment. He is with us. He is upon his own covenant oath, sworn on his own being, sealed in the blood of Jesus. He is with us. Doesn't mean there's no trouble. Doesn't mean there's no chaos around us. It means that he is with us in the middle of this and all his resources and person shall be revealed in us and through us in the middle of this. But no, said Josh. Uh, no, 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 said Gideon. I have no evidence that he's with us. In fact, the general opinion is he stopped being with us with his wonders and miracles and present action when Joshua died. You see, that's it. We, we got a mark in the sand. That was great in the days of Abraham and Moses, Joshua. But after that, God drew a line in the sand. That was just to get us started, you see. Now, it says, in response to that, verse 14, this is what I mean when I say suddenly it's not the angel anymore, it says the Lord. So, that's what I say, the angel of the Lord is really a pre- appearance of Jesus and here it says in verse 14 no longer the angel it says the Lord looked at him well there's a that word look in the Old Testament Hebrew can also be mean uh, his face he faced him but the word face in Hebrew also means presence it means that the full presence of God turned and looked. The entirety of the presence of God encompassed Gideon. He looked at him. Or as the Numbers chapter 6, the blessing. Yeah. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance and shine upon you. That's how Gideon understood it. In verse 22, when he reports on this, he said that I have seen the Lord face to face. The Lord looked at him. But you know, this is interesting. The Lord totally ignores what he's just said. It's as if Gideon didn't say it. All this rambling on about the God who wasn't with them. The Lord ignored it. All his bitter words of victims spitting out. He's abandoned us. Understand this. The Lord who loves you without limit will not elevate all the silly lies that come spewing out of our mouth. He will not elevate them by discussing them with you. There's nothing to discuss. All that Gideon said is a load of rubbish. So the Lord in his love ignored him. He doesn't judge him or condemn him. He just ignores it and says, Go in this your strength. Your strength? What, what I've just said? No, 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 no. That's just your ramblings. Your strength is what I just said to you. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Leave out what you said. Go in this that I've just said to you. 
this your strength. And the word strength there means the capacity to act. But I like it. It means potential power. That is, you would use it of a seed. Seed. So, so it has potential power to produce. It's capable of bringing forth. The Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. That is a seed that will bust through the rocks, bust through mountains, change the landscape. This is your strength. You want a magic God who just bam does things. No, he says, I am the Lord, I am with you, and this is now your strength, your wisdom, your ability. I in you, we woven together as one. Though I am not you and you are not me, but we are functioning absolutely as one. And he goes on, you will deliver Israel. Is this upsetting? Because you thought God would just bam, bam, bam. No. You go and love the unlovable. You go and forgive. You put off bitterness. How can you do it? Because the Spirit of Jesus himself lives inside of you. And I live, yet not I. It is Christ, but I live. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're not passive here. But would you believe it? He contradicts again. And he remembers. He remembered his family. That is, he brought all of his ancestors, everything that had been said to him through his childhood, everything comes out from the past, right into the present moment. He remembered his family. Oh, for goodness sake, Gideon, when will you remember what God remembers? He remembers his family, vividly reliving his whole jolly genealogical tree. Everything that's been done to them, everything they had and haven't had, all the words that have been spoken, all the treatment they've received, and it hasn't been nice. They've been put down, marginalized, put aside as a family. And all the wisdom of his ancestors that said we're a bunch of losers will never amount to anything. How many times did he heard that since the cradle? You don't never amount to anything, you know. Now, don't get any big ideas about yourself. It was the common understanding of neighbors, victims of my birth, victims of my family. If I'd been born in another family, you see, things would be different. If I had lived in a different neighborhood, if our family had a different kind of history, God, I mean, I mean, get with it. We're, we're insignificant. We're unimportant. We're unnoticed even by our fellow tribespeople. Fact is, I'm downright ashamed of who I am and where I come from. There's, look, look, look at my history. There's no value in us people. 
There's no worse in my dad, my grandfather, my great-grandfather. We've never made history. We've never made a difference. The fact is, we don't matter. I get up in the morning and I go to bed at night and really and truly I doubt anybody noticed I even appeared on the street. He has forgotten God is the glory of every human who gives us significance and worth and value beyond all words. This was Gideon's story. And we've all got a story. If it was just you and I, you'd come up with your story, and, and I could come up with mine. I remember what I used to say about myself. It's a false story, but oh, we believe it. It is a false biography. We received it from other human beings that were as blind as bats as to who they really were. They'd forgotten God and remembered their own inability. And they made it their identity. And so we take it from them and we bestow it upon ourselves, And we make that story the limitation of our existence. We force ourselves, by choice, into our ancestors' expectations. And so, the opinion we have of ourselves is that we are victims. We're forgotten by God and forgotten by any human. If we live, no one notice us, and if we died, it would hardly get a mention at the bottom of the page in the newspaper our false story. Think about how you talk to yourself about you. Think about how you talk to others about you. Think about your expectations of you and see how much you remember God into that and how much you remember your own false story. Because you see, you see life through your story as Gideon did. That's why he was in the wine press. We expect our story to keep on happening. We expect our resume to be our tomorrow. And we search for things happening to us and being said to us that prove we're right. And you can find them. But you see, that story that Gideon is telling cancels out. Yes, cancels out out nullifies the Lord is with you mighty man of valor that story that Gideon believed about himself cancels out the identity that Father and Son and Holy Spirit have given to him says no to the way in which the Holy Trinity saw him and knew him The final response of the angel, of Jesus. Surely I will be with you. Again, he ignores all this about the family. You, you, you see, we would tend, if we were talking to Gideon, to say, well, yeah, I understand. It, it's, it's been pretty rough 
you, you've had a pretty bad life of it, you know. Huh. That wouldn't be love. That would be sitting down with someone and plunging into their own despair and hopelessness and depression and saying this is the way life is. No, it isn't. Because that's not the identity the Lord gives to you. That is not how the Holy Trinity sees you. And so therefore, Jesus again refuses to comment on what Gideon has just said. Instead, surely, that means something that is absolutely certain, beyond discussion. Because I am with you, surely then, you see, it's no doubt. In fact, this word surely was used in covenant oaths. When in covenant you gave yourself to a person, you would probably say, surely I give myself to you. Jesus used the term again and again. We translate it in the New Testament as truly, truly. I say to you, or in the older versions, verily, verily, I say to you. It means stop, listen. I speak with the authority of God. Surely I'm with you. Or he was saying, Father and Son and Holy Spirit and Gideon, we are going to do this together. Remember this into your present moment. And he did. Something happened. In that last statement, plus all the others building up, suddenly, how can I put it? Gideon believed in the angel and his words. He trusted him. Or to look at it from New Testament backwards, he trusted Jesus to be the truth. He couldn't understand, and the, the following verses will show that, but he hadn't, hadn't got a clue where this was going to lead to. But he trusted Jesus. And in trusting the angel... How can I put it? The faith of the angel, or could I say the faith of the Father in the Son, in the Holy Spirit, and the faith of the Spirit and the Son is now communicated to Gideon, and he sees and he knows beyond his mental capabilities that is so. The Lord is with me. A mighty man of valor. And in that seeing, the seeing unraveled that false story that had been his identity. And what the angel, what Jesus saw and reported to him from the Father, the Holy Spirit in the words of the angel slash Jesus God's story became Gideon's story. Well, what, what can I say? I, I, I'm not being nasty 
when I say that we are this 21st century company of believers, we are a forgetting church. Religion has taught us to forget God. I say that very carefully in the light of my definition of forgetting. I have had persons, they have preached it, they've written it. It's used in textbooks in theological seminaries that God no longer works his wonders. It's in commentaries that are probably on the shelves of some of you that it says when the last apostle died, then all the work of the Holy Spirit stopped. That, that's how blatant this is. This isn't something that just sneaks in and we... No. This is what probably some of your pastors have been taught. This is what possibly they taught you. And so now they give you counseling with psychological formulas rather than the living God to transform our lives. Face our cities without any sense that God is with us. We've got a job to do and we'll do it. No sense the Lord is with us, mighty men and women of valor. Forgetting. Or the New Testament talks about it, says that a people who have a form, a shape of godliness, but they deny the power thereof. It's all for another time. We just get on with life and go to work to earn the money, to buy the bread, to pay the bills. It's time that we pray Ephesians chapter 1 and 17 where it asks, open our eyes. Let us see the hope to which we have been called. Let us see our union with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and sat him in heavenly places. That's who you are. That's how the Holy Trinity identifies you, defines you. Pray Colossians 1 and 9 and following, where it says that we might we might have the knowledge of God. That is how God knows what God knows of himself and what God knows of you we should know. And that we should walk in that, live in his presence with us. Well, my time has hopelessly gone. The blessing of God who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that blessing permeate your life open the eyes of your understanding flood you with the light as it is in Jesus and cause you to know in this day that the Lord is with you and you in Christ through the Holy Spirit are a mighty man of valor a mighty woman of valor. So I bless you and declare that is the way it is.